0: We have a huge docket for you today. Several people commented on what would you do, Scott, if you were going to represent Mr. Koberger? Well, sowing the seeds of reasonable doubt in the minds of a uh, jury is critical to any criminal defense strategy. So let's talk about it. Lori Vallow reveals who killed Tylee and JJ. She has an alibi and wants to talk to her husband. Prosecution endorses Eddie Smith to testify against Alec Murdoch. Will he take the fifth or will immunity be granted? Here's something that we can all support Ghislaine Maxwell in doing. The husband is arrested in the missing Massachusetts mother case. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Welcome everyone. My name is Scott Reich and this is Crime Talk. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do. Leave me a comment below and hit that little bell so you receive notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Just simply type in Crime Talk. Now, before we get to the docket, we need to support the people that, well, help keep the lights on here for us at Crime Talk. So go to the link, crimetalksearch.com. Sign up for a background subscription service today where you, when you have the subscription, can do a background search on as many people as you would like. You can cancel at any time. And when you have that background subscription service, you literally type in the person's name. Some questions are asked of you to narrow that information down. And then literally while you wait, a report is generated. And it is going to provide information regarding criminal history. It's going to let you know if somebody has, uh, you know, to be on one of those public registries, if you know what I mean. And you're going to be able to find out if they're, you know, married, are they divorced? Do they have civil judgments against them? Great guy. He just owes everybody a bunch of money. Maybe there's things you want to know before you get too deeply involved. Check it out if you're dating online. Go to crimetalksearch.com. You'll be happy you did. Let's go ahead and open the record on January 9th, 2023. Let's begin with the docket. First, in the Brian Koberger case, the preliminary status hearing that was set for January 12th at 10 a.m., it's been rescheduled. It's now gonna take place at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time due to a scheduling conflict. Now, remember, this is simply a date to get a date. Will the public defender request a preliminary hearing within a speedy time frame, Or is she going to ask for additional time waiving the uh, time limits in which the hearing must be conducted since Mr. Koberger is in custody? Well, we'll find out Wednesday. My speculation, it no. I would, anticipate, I would anticipate the public defender for Mr. Koberger requesting additional time so that she can obtain the discovery, review it with Mr. Koberger, engage in investigation, as well as uh, potential motions practice, and then decide how she wishes to proceed in the case, or more importantly, how Mr. Koberger wishes to proceed in the case. And guess what? Who is now commenting on the uh, Brian Koberger case? Yes, not all the people that uh, have been talking about this type of stuff for years know Camille Vasquez. And I wish Ms. Vasquez the best. She's been hired by NBC. She appeared on the Today Show where she discussed with the hosts the overwhelming evidence against Mr. Koberger, um, which we, don't con- we concede. There's a lot of what appears to be some overwhelming evidence against Mr. Koberger. I wish I wish Miss Vasquez the best, but it always makes you wonder, um, from what I can tell, Ms. Vasquez has never tried a criminal case, not a single one, I don't know. Just, just wondering how that kind of stuff works out. I don't know, it is what it is. All right, well, let's talk about the Brian Koberger case. I had a lot of people last week say, hey, Scott, Would you represent Mr. Koberger if he retained you? Well, of course I would if he could retain me, but guess what? I don't think he could afford me and I don't do pro bono work, all right? Let's just get that um, clear from the beginning. But then the question also became is, what would you do to represent Mr. Koberger? Well, obviously at this point, we have very limited information. So I would talk about today what we know thus far What's kind of a good fact and a bad fact? And how do we turn that bad fact into a good fact if you were Mr. Koberger? And you say, why, well, Scott, why are you giving the defense help? Listen, you think the prosecution isn't thinking about these things as well? Of course they are. And hopefully, maybe, I would bring to something to the table that maybe you haven't thought about. So first, let's talk about the knife, right? We've heard reports of the K-bar. And since I told you last week, I was going to go back through my old Marine Corps duffel bags and find my K-Bar that I had when I was both enlisted in the reserves and on active duty. I have brought it here today. Yes, here it is. Retrieved from parts unknown in my, uh, in my house, I have recovered my K-Bar with the sheath. Now let's take a look at this sheath. It is an all leather sheath, and it is held together by some staples as well as some stitching. This K-Bar is at least uh, going back to 1989-ish, so it has weathered pretty well. It has a loop on it, so one would put it on their cartridge belt or their war belt. Uh, wasn't uncommon sometimes because there's a hole up the top here too. You could strap it to your H harness. Now they have all these fancy things, so you don't get to do it, but then you had a little H harness. You could duct tape it. You could put a little string on it, you know, have it there. Now let's take a look at the infamous snap that the prosecution says that they found DNA. Yes, there it is. You could understand why DNA would be transferred if one were to push their finger on it. It takes a little bit of pressure to snap that this is old it's kind of worn out can you imagine a new one probably a little stiffer you're gonna have to push a little harder more likely sweat where dna can be found would be transferred to that little button right there like i said it has a place where one could put it on a belt so it also if you don't put it on the belt if you put it in your pocket it also means you could potentially drop it while someone's at the crime scene let's take a look at the knife itself has this little metal top up here. It's got a leather handle. I don't know if you can really see that. Like I said, this is old. Um, And uh, you can see the the length of the uh, K-bar. It does have this uh, pointy little tip up here. Um, And I can tell you this one, not sharp at all. Um, I have tried over the years to get this to sharpen. I've never been able to get it to sharpen because um, I don't know what what it is. Basically, if you needed to uh, uh, start a hole to put a stake in, maybe a little cubby hole, uh, you know, and go out into the field, uh, maybe that's what it's for. Not very useful in my opinion. (laughs) I I don't think I've ever seen anyone that really, other than carry this around other than, well, it was a K-Bar and I was in the Marine, so I gotta have one. These aren't issued by the Marine Corps. You have to go buy these yourself, uh, but they were originally issued uh, back in uh, World War II. And you can see it's got a little stamp on there. It says K-Bar, K-A-B-A-R. I do not know if you can see that. And then on the other side, it says, USMC. Same thing with the sheath. You probably can't see it. There's a little worn, but there is a a little eagle globe and anchor that goes on there as well. And it says K-Bar at the top. Hence the reason why we know the police went around to the local sporting goods shops there in Moscow, Idaho, to see if anybody had purchased or if they had sold one of these. Uh, You can look these up there. You can buy them anywhere. And obviously what the uh, uh, prosecution is going to look for is where did this come from? Where did the knife? Remember, the prosecution says they have not recovered the k-bar just yet, and so they're going to have to ex- try to explain where it is. Remember, the defense doesn't have to prove their innocence; they simply have to raise reasonable doubt. So, what are they going to do? First of all, they're going to look at these types of uh, knives. Okay, you're going to f- want to find somebody that's familiar with knives and explain the various types of knives. Like I said, this one would not be my preferred method uh, in any way, just from personal uh, use and experience. I I just don't think it is uh, a good knife. Now, look, you got the little shield down here. So imagine if you were coming in and let's say, for example, you hit it and you hit solid ground, maybe perhaps bone. There's always the possibility no guarantee, possibility, if you're not gripping it tight enough or depending on how hard somebody came down on it and gripped it, that your hand could slip down the bar, down the K-bar, and potentially cut yourself. Very, very possible. Unless, of course, somebody's wearing gloves. Like I said, this one isn't that sharp, but it always could be. Now, the defense is probably going to find out, want to find out as much as they can as it relates to DNA uh, that was found on the sheath. Was it found anywhere else? As you can see, there are some rough edges. There's even uh, areas where someone could have other areas. Uh, for example, the staples here, for example, in this one, are coming apart. Uh, was there something there? You know, let's face it. When guys get knives, they play with them, right? Like you would expect, they would, you you'd see stuff, right? I had a case once. They asked the guy who shouldn't be in possession of a firearm, did you touch the firearm? He's like, well, yeah, I'm a guy, I touched the firearm. That's what guys do, right? Um, And of course he confessed against himself. So was there any other area where the DNA was found? That's what they're gonna have to look out. The other thing when it comes to the knife is the forensic pathologist. The defense is gonna have to hire one, at least consult with somebody, whether they know knives or whatever, and try to determine if the injuries, the lacerations on the deceased victims, would it be consistent with, well, let's say this knife, the K-Bar? Or could it have been consistent with a different type of knife? Something like this, much sharper, I can assure you. Um, Not very good, but it can be gripped. You can do different things with it. Frankly, a little more useful, just saying, something to think about. Or I don't know, maybe, was it something like a knife like this that pops out, right? sharp edges, lacerations, how, what evidence are they going to be able to show that it was actually caused by a K bar that this sheath was somehow associated with the knife? I understand you may say, well, Scott, it's obvious. And it very well may be, but the prosecution has to prove it. And then of course, probably the one or more of the more effective knives that one could possibly use. Um, for example, a, uh, uh, a machete. Okay. Much larger. I assure you much sharper, indeed. Um, and I've seen the damage that this can, something like this can do. I had a case once where a couple of individuals were in a dispute. One guy was in a car, had his arm on the uh, side of the truck. Uh, the other uh, individual, possibly my client, may have walked up and into the dispute, taken the machete and uh, whacked it against the arm that was placed firmly against the door, nearly cutting it off, severing bones, etc., what have you. So, one of the things the defense is going to have to look at is, well, they say they have a knife, they've narrowed it down to a KBAR because of a sheath. Was that really the knife? Is that consistent with that? Now, obviously, the other thing we have to worry about if you're the defense attorney in this particular case is the DNA. That is probably the most damning piece of evidence that we have learned about thus far. The button, the button, easily somewhere where you're going to be able to get Uh, more likely DNA transfer, it's a smooth surface, Um, the cells, the sweat could possibly remain. So you're going to have to have your expert uh, witness take a great look at the methodology of the DNA, uh, the whole genealogical DNA. What we know is that the DNA sample from the knife is apparently, you know, one in Brazilians, Um, definitely the son of Brian Koberger's father. Now they're going to have to get a match and they're going to go get a buckle swab from Koberger if they haven't done so already, where he will give a sample. They will have that known sample and then they will compare it to the DNA on the sheath. Going to be problematic for the defense. So how do you turn that into a good one? Well, you're going to have to look at the methodology. You want to have your expert present when everything is done and tested by uh, whether it's the Idaho State Police Lab, or whether the FBI does it, but they want to be there. They want to be able to see how they do their calculations to see if there was anything there. Also, your DNA expert is going to have to be able to talk about transfer. How could that have been transferred in any way? Uh, Once again, back to the knife. Any purchases? Did he purchase one? I've heard some rumors that maybe something was bought online, but No one's been able to produce anything that I think is reliable. We briefly talked about the expert that you'd want, forensic pathologist. Can you say it was actually a K-Bar that would have been responsible for the wounds inflicted? Or there's possibility there were multiple weapons? You do not know. The next thing, the defense, you're gonna wanna shrink your guy. You're gonna wanna send him, in my humble opinion, you go to the psychiatrist first, maybe psychologist, but I would go psychiatrist first. See what makes this guy tick And if there's anything that you can use to your advantage, for example, we keep hearing that this guy is some sort of germaphobe, so to speak, that may be good to be able to explain why he wears gloves when he takes the garbage out, right? Those are the type of things you want to be able to talk about. And if he's got like some sort of OCD, you want to be able to explain that. You're also going to have that psychiatrist hopefully come up with some sort of mitigation. Um, You're going to want to get all the school records. Uh, Going back to grade school, medical records, has this guy ever hit his head? Has he ever had a traumatic brain injury? Did mom drop him uh, on the ground when he was young and he was just never the same after that? You want to try to figure out what makes this guy tick, use it for mitigation, since it's more than likely going to be a death penalty case. You want to be able to... Uh, have that mitigation ready to go. You're not going to be able to wait two or three years to begin on that. You have to start now. Next thing we got, we have phone records. You're going to need experts on the phone records. Now, the police in their affidavit state that they have Mr. Koberger in the general area. You're going to want your cell phone tower information expert to be able to explain that that is different than GPS It's not GPS what we know that they have so far. What that means is that he would be in a big area, could be 10, 20, 25 miles, even more, depending on the reception and that tower that is going to be there. These engineers come up with stuff where they can show you based upon uh, valleys and hills and buildings where you're not gonna get cell phone reception to explain lots of things. And just because he was in the area, this. House is near the school, it's near the frat house, it's not that far from downtown. Could he have been downtown for some completely legitimate issue? And they're saying that he was in the vicinity. So you're really going to have to narrow that down to see what exactly they are talking about. Once again, they say that the police went back and got phone records for earlier time frames where they believe that his phone was in the area of the house in at least 12 occasions. Well, once again, how close? Was he really? Or was he even close at all? I remember I had a homicide case once where we got a not guilty. One of the things they tried to do is say, your client was right there near the park where the shooting took place. They tried to say he was there. The expert under cross examination admitted that he could not say whether my client was there or 30 blocks away driving the complete opposite direction. It's not that accurate. As of right now, We don't believe that they have any GPS. That is much more accurate. That could be within three to five feet. But until they have that, it's not that accurate. The car, you're gonna wanna attack the FBI. Remember, their own expert said originally it was the 2011 to... Uh, 2013 Elantra. Then their expert apparently changed his mind and said, well, no, it's probably uh, 2013, maybe all the way up to 2016 Elantra. Turns out he drove a 2015 Elantra. So you're going to have to attack that expert, possibly with your own to say, it's so obvious that uh, what they originally identified or what is in that photo is the 2011 to 2013, you have the wrong car. That's what you're gonna to have to be able to try and show. Additionally, you're gonna to have to say, FBI expert man, you were certain it was 2011, 2013, this is your job, this is your expertise. You do this on a daily basis. You make these calls that involve basically life or death decisions that could possibly affect someone's liberty. And you said it was a 2011 to 2013, and you got it wrong, and you changed your mind. And did you change your mind because they had a suspect a Brian Koberger in mind? or it's because you just got it wrong. So that's what you're going to have to look at. That's how you would have to attack that. There's going to be evidence. Well, of course we didn't find any evidence in the car because he cleaned the car. You're going to want to find witnesses who are going to say, it's completely normal, right? Sometimes you got to say, get in front of a jury and say, ladies and gentlemen, what the government uh, says happened, didn't happen. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, as Freud said. And what that means is sometimes it's completely innocent conduct. Like I said, is this guy OCD? He doesn't eat from pans that had meat cooked in them. What other things? Is the guy a meticulous cleaner? Is he completely, you know, over the top when it comes to cleaning? He cleans his car on a regular basis, cleans his car every Saturday at 2 p.m. at the exact same place. Those are the kind of things you want to find out. Oh, he dumps trash in the neighbor's trash can? okay, gonna have to interview dad. Ask the, you know, eventually officers, was the trash can full or not? I can tell you from personal experience, <laughs> we've been known in the uh, Crime Talk household to um, dispose of large amounts of trash and the trash cans have been full. And we would strategically place those by walking through the various back alleys um, near the house to place in trash cans that are not as full. So sometimes things are not exactly what they appear to be. Next thing. Preliminary hearing. Go to preliminary hearing. I would go to preliminary hearing as quickly as possible. Sure, you don't have all the discovery, but so what? You get the detectives up there on the witness stand under oath, lock them into statements that uh, may or may not change down the road. What do they look at? How many other suspects do they have? How many of those leads on all those other cars did you follow up on? What have you done this? You haven't done this. You haven't done this. Wow. You have a lot you haven't done. Things you want to take a look at. Motions. At some point, there's going to be, after an arraignment, there's going to be a motions uh, deadline. One, you're going to want to file a motion to make sure that the roommate who believes that they saw a masked individual with bushy eyebrows, she can testify to that, but she should not be allowed to make an in-court identification and say, that over there seated at the defense table is the bad man that I saw that night. Can't do that. She didn't make it an initial uh, lineup. The person was wearing a mask. Uh, shouldn't be allowed to do an in-court identification. If there's going to be a subsequent um, array, a photo array, a six-pack, they don't really use six-packs anymore, but six different photographs that are shown to somebody uh, to make an identification, uh, that needs to be challenged as well. Additionally, the defense is going to file a motion to suppress, or I would, and basically it is in regards to the statement that he allegedly made when he was arrested, something to the effect, well, was somebody else arrested? That's not necessarily a good statement or a bad statement. It could go either way, but it gives you an opportunity to see more information that can be provided by the arresting officers at the time of the arrest. Was any other statements made? Was there a little chit-chat going on in the car? Were there any other spontaneous statements allegedly made? um, Or were they induced, i.e. clearly in custody, and somebody was asking him questions, what was taking place? Was it after he said lawyer? you just never know. File the motion. It's a homicide case. Use it as a tool of discovery. One, you're also going to want to attack the search warrants. Argue that they were overly broad. Now, what we have seen from the affidavit is they were limited in the scope and time period, the scope of the time and the things to be searched. So more than likely, they're probably okay at this point. But When they go back and say, Well, it's my training experience that uh, people who commit crimes have previously been there, so let's go back even further in time, that gets a little narrower. Remember, the Fourth Amendment protects from general warrants. General warrants are something that says, We're not really sure what we're looking for, Judge, but we'll know it when we see it. Founding fathers specifically said, We're not going to sign that Constitution unless we have that protection, because the king's men would come in, rummage through the house, say, we're not sure what you did, but we know when no one we see it, we'll rummage around in here for a while. You can't do that. That's a general search. And those general searches have been extended to cell phones, uh, cell phone records. You can't just do a general warrant. Obviously, you're going to have to attack the investigation that they were slow. They were under a lot of pressure to get a result. Uh, the police chief is still asking for leads. Um, once the uh, Guy that they were certain was the one who did it. The chief is still asking for information and leads. Those are the things you're going to have to do in as far as attacking the investigation. It's not anything that I'm do. Any attorney worth their salt is always going to look at the investigation. Did it focus upon looking at all the evidence? Let the chips fall where they may, or was it? Um, Other information, or did they find a suspect and try to build a case around that? Let's, for example, this house was a party house. How many other single sources of DNA were recovered um, from in that house? You just, those are the things you're going to have to find out. Well, did you go look at all those people that had their single source DNA in the house? Well, there was a mixture of somebody if you've been able to identify it. So you have to look at the investigations. No cell phone search as of yet. Did he have a cell phone on his person uh, when he was arrested? Not just talking about the cell phone data that they collected as to where he was, okay? And remember, that information, Verizon, AT&T, that's not collected for police purposes. That's collected for them to work on their engineering to see if their product is working and if it's good. It's not there to be the most accurate to see which tower everything is going for. Any uh, cell phone data guy will tell you that. It's kind of um, just a collateral consequence that they can use it in uh, law enforcement uh, these days. But then the question is, if they had a phone that was seized, are they gonna be able to go into it? Once again, you can't do a general rummage through the phone search, okay? Little, Little dirty little secret here, and it's finally starting to come out. There's certain software when they dump a cell phone i'm not going to mention any names of the companies but they can't go in and say hey i want to search the emails or text messages from this particular date time period what do they have to do they have to dump the phone everything all its contents and then go back well now we're going to conduct a limited search so I'm not really sure. I think people are finally queuing up to this. I know I'm making the argument over and over and over again. Judge, you can't dump the phone to then say we're gonna limit our search of the phone. You can't do that. It's kinda like you gotta pass the legislation before you can read it and see what's in it. It doesn't make any sense. So very interesting issue. I think it's gonna be more and more uh, litigation regarding that particular issue as it relates to the cell phones, and we'll just have to wait and see. Obviously, the investigation. Is there any other groups or associations um, with uh, Mr. Koberger that they can uh, take a look at? Was there anyone in the sphere that knew this guy, within all the associations of the victims, any students. I know they went to different schools. They taught at different schools, but clearly a lot of interaction between the two communities. What connection? Remember, the police still don't have a motive whatsoever. People like to have a motive. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Somebody did that. I'd probably want to do harm to somebody. People like to have that in a homicide case. So far, one has not been, at least publicly, reported. So we'll have to wait and see. The defense is also going to try to want to get the cell phones for um, the victims in the case. And their cell phone data, if that hasn't already been requested and produced by the cell phone providers of all the victims in this particular case, to see where they were. Oh, you mean they were at the same bar generally? Oh, could be random. Oh, were they in Pullman, Washington? It was Pullman, Washington, right? Yeah. Were they in Pullman, Washington? Why were they there? Did they know Mr. Koberger? What were they doing there? Were they stalking him? All those things you have to take a look at so you can take those bad facts and see if you can turn it into a good fact. Sometimes you can't turn uh, the um, bad facts into a good fact. Sometimes you just simply have to embrace them. Uh, I remember a case, a colleague of mine, who was really concerned on a homicide case that resulted in a mistrial. And they kept worrying about the fact that he was a drug dealer but he's charged with first-degree murder. And I said, well, in the retrial, you know, my suggestion is embrace it. Let him know. My guy's a drug dealer, but he didn't commit a homicide in this particular case. They walked him in that case. Sometimes you have to embrace the bad facts and own them. But, yep, this is what it is, right? Maybe that's his sheath. But guess what? Uh, there was a robbery down the road. We don't know. That Yeah, he had that knife. He liked it. He likes to go in the woods, whatever. Who knows? But maybe was there a theft? Was it stolen? Those are the things we don't know about. And I guess that's speculation. I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying sometimes there's things out there that we do not know yet. And then Coburg going to have to come up with witnesses. Obviously, the biggest witness is going to be his dad for him, for the defense. Hey, did you notice any injuries on him when you spoke to him? Anything sound unusual? No, sounded pretty normal to me. Uh, During that drive, any concerns? No. Any concerns when the police pulled over? Nope, absolutely not. Those types of things to basically say, hey, you've got the wrong guy. This case comes down to identification. It's not a question of if somebody deceased, clearly they are. The question is, is who did it? Was it Brian Koberger? Remember, the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it was him, not someone that looked like him, not someone using his identity, that it was him on the date allowed. And that he also went in, not only commit the homicides, but that he went into that house with the intent to commit the homicides. Clearly, the burglary is the least of his concerns, given the four counts of murder. But those are the type of things that somebody is going to want to attack as it comes to Brian uh, Koberger as it relates to the uh, case against him. Now, like any good attorney, they're going to say, hey, this is a quick overview right here. And my opinion may change based upon new facts. There may be stuff down the road to say, oh yeah, this guy's screwed. I admit it. The sheath on the K-bar, right? That's a problem. Juries love DNA evidence. And unless you can explain away a completely random issue as to why it's there, defense is going to have some problem. All right. Hope that helps. Now let's get on to another case in Idaho, Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. Lori Vallow has an alibi. That's right. Lori Vallow has filed a notice of alibi. It reads that the defendant pursuant to the Idaho Criminal Rule 12.1 and the Idaho Code 19-519 provide notice of alibi as follows. One, Lori Vallow was in her apartment in Rexburg, Idaho, when J.J. Vallow and Ty Lee Ryan died in the apartment of Alex Cox in Rexburg, Idaho. Defendant was with Melanie Give, David Warwick, and or Chad De Bell. Well, let's talk about that. So just like we anticipated, the defense in the Lori Vallow of Chad DeBell matters are going to be saying Alex Cox is the true murderer. And of course, he's not there to be able to defend himself. Why? Because he's dead. Yep. Suddenly dead. Lots of dead people. Like I said, Lori Vallow is like the black widow. Everyone around her um, winds up dead. And um, I'm sure that's why Chad Daybell did not want to get out uh, when he had the opportunity because everybody winds up dead. I think he's safer on the inside. Now, the next motion is very, very interesting. The defense has filed a motion basically asking for Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell to be able to meet with their attorneys. And here's what I think is key. And this is why you have to actually read the motions. Apparently, there is a settlement being contemplated, or is is there a settlement being contemplated? Well, the motion says come now the attorneys for the defendant and move this court for an order to allow the defendant and her attorneys to meet with the co defendant and his attorney in a confidential joint settlement and strategy session. The motion says, hey, Lori Vall and Chad Day Bell were married in Hawaii on november fifth of twenty nineteen, and then on february twentieth of twenty twenty, Lori Valla was arrested in Hawaii, extradited back to the state of Idaho, and she was able to talk to her husband by recorded jail calls from the date of her arrest to June 9th of 2020, when Chad DeBell was also arrested on this matter. Uh, the two have spoken by phone only one time since June 9th of 2020, and that was an arranged phone call on July 26th of 2020 between the parties and counsel. Call was approved by the prosecuting attorney and the sheriff and was not recorded. This is the interesting part. With settlement proposals, mediation, motion, and trial fast approaching, Lori and Chad would like to be able to talk together in person and on the phone about their options. The attorneys for the parties will attend any in-person meeting and phone conversations but will not be recorded and the conversations will not be used as evidence. The conversations can be deemed as settlement purposes pursuant to Rule 408, 410 and 507 of the Idaho Rules of Evidence, which means they can't be used against you uh, later uh, down the road. But what I think is interesting is that they would like to talk together in person to discuss some strategy and basically options. Is someone gonna plead guilty? Do they wanna testify? Are you gonna testify for me? Are you gonna hurt me? Those are the type of things that probably each side wants to hear in person from the other side before they decide what to do. Is Chad Daybell gonna throw her under the bus? Maybe she'd like to hear it from him personally. Maybe she wants to testify for the prosecution and cut a deal. You just never know. I think it's very, very interesting that they're taking steps to do this. And um, at least the Lori Vallow's attorneys are acting like they're going to trial here in April. Now, another motion that was set was the estate's motion for sequestration. Um, That's gonna be a motion that's gonna be heard uh, next week. And it was was filed back in September 29th of 2021. And uh, like I said, so that's gonna be heard on the 19th. And then there are several other motions that are going to be heard on the same date. Motion to prevent the death qualification of the jury, denied. Motion to declare the death penalty unconstitutional, denied. Motion to declare the Idaho Capital Punishment Scheme unconstitutional, denied. Motion to declare the defendant not death eligible, filed the January 4th of 2022, uh, denied. Uh, motion for the joint settlement and strategy session January 5th. I think the court is actually going to uh, grant that uh, because I think everybody wants to see if they're going to be able to resolve this case in one way or the other. Now, as you remember, Lori Vallow also filed a notice saying they're not going to run a mental health defense. Now, yes, Idaho does not have the not guilty by reason of insanity where it's basically a it's an affirmative defense. Yeah, I did it, but I was crazy and uh, then you go off to the uh, state mental health institution for a very, very long time. Uh, But you can still use a mental health defense to say I could not form the requisite intent. She says I'm not going to do that, probably because she's saying I didn't kill anybody. Alex Cox did, probably the reason for that, but the uh, the attorneys, you could tell by their filing, were really trying to cover their own butts for any post-conviction matters. It's going to get interesting. I know some people don't like that story, but listen, we got a trial day coming up, two dead children and a deceased spouse, um, allegedly you know, the uh, result of a uh, homicide, and it's just a really different case. But uh, if you haven't watched it, I think it's worth watching. We've talked about it for a while here. Next in the docket, Alec Murdoch. Now, for those who don't know, he's been charged with two counts of murder and two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime in connection with the June 7th, 2021 shooting of his wife, Maggie, and his youngest son, Paul Murdoch. Now, uh, both Maggie and Paul were killed at the Moselle, which is the family's uh, hunting property. You know, don't we all have hunting property somewhere? No, we don't. But he did. Not anymore, though. Anyway, um, Paul Murdoch was uh, hit by a pair of shotgun blasts on that fateful evening, uh, one to the head and one to the arm. Maggie was killed by multiple shots fired by some type of semi-automatic rifle at or around the time that her son was killed. And at least two of Maggie Murdoch's gunshot wounds were reportedly inflicted while she was laying on the ground, consistent with some would call some sort of execution-style slayings. Certainly, probably crying, begging after deliberation if somebody pulled the trigger. Certainly somebody did. The question is who? Anyway, Mr. Murdoch has pled not guilty to those charges and he's scheduled to stand trial, which is going to start on January 23rd in 2023. So just a couple of weeks away in South Carolina. I cannot wait. Ooh, I got to get, get, get down there for this. I love the low country. I love Beaufort County. We got to get down there. Well, anyway, Old Curtis Eddie Smith, remember him? He's been endorsed by the prosecution. He was arrested in connection with the suspicious September 4th, 2021, shooting of Alec Murdoch on the side of the road. You remember when he said he basically got shot? Turned out he had somebody shoot him? Well, old Eddie Smith. So Smith is a 62 years old and he's accused drug dealer and also was helped to launder money by cashing checks from Mr. Murdoch. Uh, we've learned this through other court filings as well. Well, Mr. Murdoch's defense attorneys have uh, done a pretty good job of trying to neutralize old Mr. Eddie Smith. And they asked, uh, because you know, what you gotta do is raise reasonable doubt, like we said, gotta sow that reasonable doubt. The Murdoch attorneys certainly are doing a decent job of it. They've been able to get out there through motions, not through things that they wouldn't be able to uh, say, to the public, but through their motions um, pleadings, which are kind of significant to poke holes in the uh, case. Um, And how did they do that, you ask, Scott? Well, pretrial motions. How do we learn most stuff in case we talk about actual pretrial motions? So they filed these motions back in October of last year, and it requested for the state to produce the polygraph data examiner notes And the quality control notes related to the polygraph examinations that old Eddie Smith gave back on May 5th of 2022. And they want all the evidence collected in search warrants at the Smith home, where they searched that back on September seventh of 2021. And his phone that they also searched and any records of interviews conducted with his girlfriend, a woman by the name of Donna Eason motion also requested that the state disclose the results of the DNA testing done on Smith, and if not, provide an explanation as to why no testing was done. So during the polygraph examination, deception was indicated in Smith's response to the following question. Did you shoot either of those people at the property on Moselle Road? Did you shoot either of those people at the property on Moselle Road last June? Were you present when either of those people were shot at the property on Moselle Road? In other words, Smith lied when asked, did you shoot Maggie or Paul? Now, clearly not going to be admissible in court, but but certainly something that uh, the defense is gonna try to get into evidence one way or other, not the polygraph, but maybe some of those answers and um, see uh, how that worked out. Polygraphs, they're a tool of interrogation, so I wouldn't put a whole lot of uh, weight in that uh, machine as well. Anyway, Uh, Murdoch's attorney's accused Smith of committing the murders and that he should be charged with committing those murders. Now, whether Smith will actually testify is unknown at this point. He has other charges related to Mr. Murdoch's alleged financial schemes, as well as the roadside shooting, where he basically shot, allegedly, Mr. Murdoch in the head at his request to make it look like it was a suicide. And they messed that up, too. So the question then becomes more than likely old Eddie Smith is probably going to take the fifth, which won't be seen in front of the jury and won't testify. The prosecution, however, can grant him immunity. And then he would have to testify. If he didn't, he could be held in contempt. Okay. That's usually six months in most jurisdictions. Whoopee. I'm telling you, this is going to get good. There may, before, before everybody was making documentaries, who was covering it? That's right. Scott Reich here on Crime Talk. I have to admit just because I own a property down there, was stationed down there in the military. I fell in love with the place, I love it. That's got me intrigued, but I'm telling you, it is a story uh, that's only gonna get bigger. Next, here's something I think we can all support Geeling Maxwell in doing. That's right, she is hosting etiquette classes for inmates in her Florida prison as she tries to help, uh, you know, Uh, rehabilitate herself and be a model female prisoner. Now, the course that she offers uh, teaches three principles of etiquette, focusing on respect, consideration, and honesty. Um, And that's uh, from a flyer that was pinned up inside the FCI there in Tallahassee, Florida. Now, the four-week program covers everything from having good manners on how to speak, how to dress, and how to carry yourself in a job interview. Now, Miss Maxwell was Oxford-educated. That's kind of fancy. And um, she also talks about emulating powerful female figures, citing her former pal, Hillary Clinton, for example, and that uh, we all, or all of her female friends, can smash that glass ceiling. I'm all for that. And the uh, course also counts towards first-step act, which means that inmates can include... Um, Uh, If you're a a drug pusher, a white-collar criminal, or convicted of uh, murders, can shave up to 15 days off their sentence each year uh, by taking these classes. Now, apparently the class is so popular that, um, guess what? It's not only done in English, but in Spanish with an interpreter, obviously. And there is talk of yet another class. That's right. It's so popular, she's going to do it. So if you're a woman and convicted uh, felon, you're not a second-class citizen, and Miss Maxwell would like you to know that. Um, and um, she apparently is quite uh, passionate about this. Now, guess what her nickname is in prison? Ghislaine Maxwell. Everyone just calls her Max, okay? Uh, that's what her pals call her. She's also teaching yoga classes and working in the prison library helping uh, the uh, other women there pick up books and periodicals. Now, what I think a lot of people won't realize is that Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted and she's up on appeal. And so yes, she's been convicted and we'll see what happens on appeal. But I remember a case here years ago, it was a big case. It was a big case, Uh, it was a uh, insider trading uh, case, uh, securities fraud case. And the CEO went to trial, was found guilty of a couple of of charges. And he gave an interview uh, when he got out a couple years later and what he noted was that um, he trusted some of the people in prison more than he would ever trust people on the outside, that those people, when they gave their word, they gave their word. And um, I'm sure Miss Maxwell is kind of finding that out. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people in prison, not good people, done terrible things, maybe terrible things, but are still a good person. It can happen. I've met lots of clients over the last 28 years that I liked individually, not condoning what they did, but they were nice individuals. And I think what Ms. Maxwell is going to find out is that probably some of those people in prison um, would have her back more than all those people that said they were her friends going to those big old fancy events and going on those fancy uh, trips to various islands and getting on various airplanes. Where were they now? Where were they when all this stuff was going down? They were distancing themselves from her just a little something to think about. Well, guess what? Let's talk about the Massachusetts missing mom case. Police have found blood on a damaged knife in the basement of the Massachusetts home of a real estate executive who vanished. Well, Brian Walsh, the husband, is being charged with misleading officers. Understand he's not being charged with murder, just misleading officers. Now The prosecutors told the court that they found evidence after activating a search warrant on Brian and Anna Walsh's Cohasset house. They also told the judge on Monday that uh, Walsh was spotted spending $450 on cleaning products in a nearby Home Depot the day after his wife went missing. Now, the uh, gentleman had allegedly told officers he had only left the house to take his son for ice cream since his 39-year-old wife disappeared in the early hours of New Year's Day. Now, Anna, a mother of three, has not been seen since she failed to catch a flight to Washington, D.C. for work with detectives scouring the family home in search of clues and removing a Volvo SUV from the house. Police say it allowed him time to clean up evidence and dispose of it, and his bail is Been set at five hundred thousand dollars cash only now anna was reportedly missing on to police on january 4th by her employer in dc and her husband three days after she was last seen he claims that he hadn't left the property after his wife who is serbian descent went missing but was seen on cameras buying hundreds of dollars worth of cleaning supplies I'm, i'm sure there's an innocent explanation right you know, when the lovely Miss Kristen goes out of town, what do I do? I go stock up on cleaning supplies to make sure it is clean when she gets back just the way she likes it. I'm sure that's what this guy was doing. I wonder how many other times he's gone and done cleaning supplies. Probably about as many as I've done. Anyway, prosecutors at the Quincy District Court say that uh, Walsh's statements, including the claim that he didn't leave the house, delayed and hindered the investigation and then police searched the home, finding blood in an area of the basement before finding a damaged knife with blood on it. That's right, a little something to think about. Knives can get damaged when they hit sharp objects. Just saying, think about it. Now, authorities say it would have allowed him time to clean up evidence and dispose of that evidence, which is why they asked for the cash bond. Now, Mr. Walsh was uh, seen leaving the Cohasset uh, police station on um, Monday morning, where he was given a big old smirk and a smile to reporters. You gotta love the client that just exudes confidence at the most inopportune times. They put it on the paper, they put it in the news, they put it on video. Guys like me talk about it on YouTube. Well, now, uh, The husband isn't exactly the most squeaky clean guy around either. He was charged with fraud after allegedly selling two fake Andy Warhol paintings for $80,000 in 2016, which meant he was also basically house arrest pending his sentence in federal court. This means that he must report when he goes anywhere. But he was caught on camera going to Home Depot on January 2 after saying he never left the house. And expected to take his son for ice cream so he was arrested uh, sunday evening as detectives continue to search for his wife i wonder why he's not out looking for his wife i mean we'll give everybody the presumption of innocence here unless and until they've been convicted in a court of law or pled guilty but why is it the husband never out looking for his wife the wife has not used her phone or credit card since disappearing and has obviously not shown up for work Mr. Walsh told the police he was asleep when Anna ordered a ride to the Logan International Airport in Boston, with prosecutors saying she was last seen as she left the property at 4 a.m. Her phone pinged in the area of the house on January 1st and 2nd, despite her husband saying that she had left for her flight. Anyway, Mr. Walsh claimed that he went to the Whole Foods and CVS on January 1, but there was no receipt or surveillance footage to back that up. See, they checked those things out, Mr. Walsh. And, of course, Anna's friends say her disappearance is out of character and she would never abandon her three young children. Police did give a statement saying they developed probable cause to believe that Anna Walsh's husband, Brian Walsh, was committed or had committed the crime of misleading police investigators. Now they're going to sweat him in custody. The couple's three young children are being uh, cared for uh, by family members while they uh, continue to look for their mother. And of course, Mr. Walsh initially said that he was cooperating with the investigation uh, before he was arrested on Sunday, and that changes everything. That's it, we're not cooperating anymore. So we'll have to see how that turns out, but not looking good for Mr. Walsh. I just don't get it. I mean, if you don't like your spouse, don't harm them. get a divorce go to marriage counseling, try to work it out, do what you got to do, but you don't have to kill anybody. Seriously. Next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. All right. Listening to crime talk makes you smarter. Okay. How many times have we said, don't live stream the crime scene? Don't put the crime on social media. If you watch Crime Talk, you know that. Well, apparently this knucklehead down in Georgia didn't know that. And the police have arrested this unidentified man who eluded police on a motorcycle that detectives say they were ultimately able to spot him on TikTok because he put the crime up on social media. So the Georgia State Police pursued the motorcyclist through both Henry and Clayton Counties, according to a Facebook post by the Clayton County Police Department. And uh, they had to give up the chase at a certain point because it was no longer safe. But the case was assigned to a uh, lieutenant by the name of Lieutenant Thomas Rymers, And they, he heard about the chase and then he ultimately searched social media until he was able to locate a video on TikTok. Now, apparently the guy had a camera on his helmet and they figured maybe this guy's dumb enough just to put it on TikTok or some other social media. Sure enough, not only did TikTok, he also put it on YouTube. And um, like I said, they were pursuing the guy uh, in the chase. So the uh, motorcycle was also very distinct, a 2022 Triumph. It's a Street Triple RS, was also seen in the video, pretty rare. And so it doesn't take long for the police then to uh, reach out to uh, the owner of that Triumph Street Triple RS to the person registered in the area. And what does a good cop do? He goes to the unidentified person's location, knocks on the door, showed uh, him some photos of uh, what was on social media. And of course, what does our young knucklehead do? That's right, he confesses. He told the cop that was him. He eluded, but he's really sorry, thinking that it's all just going to go away. Ha ha ha! No, no. He got an arrest warrant for 12 different charges. Like I said, the police haven't identified this knucklehead, but when he is identified, we will let him know that he has been awarded the dumb criminal of the day for January 9th, 2023. That's all we have for you today. I know it was a long show. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.